Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning again, to worship with you. I've been blessed already by our Sunday school. Thank you, Nate, for those challenging thoughts that I think we'll go home thinking about it more, about our death. So that was good discussions. And, Nate, I have, uh, if you want to really get a window into Hezekiah this afternoon, just go online and take a look at his tunnel. <laughs> and uh, we had a privilege of walking through that tunnel and uh, a life-changing experience. Knee-deep water and flashlights and uh, you can see little glimpses of it, but Hezekiah was quite a man. And what he accomplished right there was, I think all of us would say, not me, I wish I would have died. <laughs> good discussions, and uh, it's good to uh, worship together with you. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, I did meet Steve on the way. Yeah, I texted him this morning and said, uh, Look, watch, I'll be watching for you. And he said he's watching for me. We passed each other on 81, north and south. And it's good to uh, exchange, share in different churches like that. He saw me, but I missed him. So I, I wasn't supposed to text and drive, so I didn't. And uh, I think he did. <laughs> anyway, it was good to, uh, to uh, share a little bit. And looking forward to sharing with you just a, a couple glimpses into life in Shenandoah. Uh, the school year has started. We're blessed with teachers, four seasoned teachers. We're truly blessed. We have two community families, which it is uh, going well. And uh, we're blessed in uh, our school. We have, I think I shared before, we have growth. We have six first graders, and uh, that feels very good, but also challenging. We look at uh, where is this going here, and our building is, I'm not sure how long we can keep experiencing growth like that. We love growth, but you all can really grow here for a long time. Not everybody can grow eh, without challenges, and that's one of the challenges of our school building is, is limited. It's working now, but we have some things to look forward to. It's all good. Bible clubs, again, is a good experience. Uh, every Thursday night, we have community children coming, and that's been a blessing, uh, making connections there, reaching into families. There's one family that uh, I meet with every Thursday night, uh, the father, which is a blessing to see uh, that. Probably the, the biggest change that we will experience, we are, uh, Riley and Katharina will be sent to the mission field here in December 2nd. They have plane tickets and uh, it's uh, a little bit of change coming. And Jim talked about the challenges of uh, countries and the world. They're going to the country of Laos and uh, uh, they were in training for four years with All Nations Bible Translation, you say four years of training. Uh, they're working alongside of Bible translators and the mission of All Nations is every kindred, tongue, and tribe has a right to have the Word of God. 
And there's yet uh, 2,000, give or take, some languages and people groups in the world that have never had the word of God. And uh, that is hard to get to. And so it's these villages that are very hard. It's a 20-year project. Uh, first of all, learning the culture and learning the language of Laos and then the, the village, the Isala people group is a small people group and uh, yes that is their call learning that and then translating the Bible and so they're working alongside of a team of three young couples and I praise the Lord I stand back as parents we had a graduation at all nations and I know the the three parents of the couples it's uh, Zach and Rebecca Barkman and Riley and Katharina are son and daughter, and then uh, Walter and Rachel Whitmer is from uh, a Beachy Church. So all of the parents are about our age. We're in our 50s, and so we stand back and say, well, wow, we will be praying. And these young people, I praise the Lord for young, energetic people that are willing to take on a task like that. So pray with us as a church, as a district. You all, I think, receive newsletters, so you all are part of this. It's a, a church planting experience. The mission is uh, a, uh, a church living out the word of God in this little people group, and that's the, the mission and the goal, and having the word of God in their own language and a church that is established like this in every village of the world, living out the word of God. And I, I really believe that that's at the heart of God's great commission, that we have what we see here this morning, a church. And uh, it's not just the Bible, but a church. And, and so pray with us in that as we go through that change in our church life and our family. I have no greater joy than to see our children and young people serving the Lord. And, and that is the, the greatest blessing. So let's think a little bit this morning about, uh, I've titled the message this morning, The Mystery of God's Will. I don't know where your mind's going, but I want to try my best in the time I have to crack open a mystery. You think of a mystery as uh, something that's hard to understand and you can look at it from all angles and, and there's a part of it. We'll this morning leave the service humbly acknowledging we can't get to the depth of this. That's how deep we're going we're gonna to try to crack open just a little bit and I'm going to encourage you all to dig into this mystery and spend a lifetime trying to understand the mystery of God's will. Where are we going? Ephesians chapter 1 is where you have this verse. Ephesians 1, verse 9. It says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. Ephesians chapter 1, or the book of Ephesians is, uh, in my opinion, 
the richest text you will find in the New Testament in, regarding, in regards to salvation. You may have a different opinion, and that's okay. You read through and study through and preach through or teach through the uh, book of Ephesians, and you will find it is the richest text, and again, my opinion, on salvation and redemption, and it is also the richest text in the Bible in regards to spiritual warfare. So if we didn't have the book of Ephesians, we'd be lacking on teaching on spiritual warfare. Paul goes into spiritual warfare in a way that we can really understand our battle. So I believe the two somewhat go together, but the mystery of God's will, I'm going to uh, start right here in verse 9, but just backing up, I'm missing a lot of the first. I'm just going to glaze through the first eight verses there. It says that God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Verse 4, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Stop right there and think about that for a minute. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now that's indeed a mystery. And I will not be able to explain that in its completion, but I believe it is true. Uh, I believe it is true that before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in him to be holy and without blame in him in love. So God had this plan before the foundation of the world, before creation ever happened, redemption was in place. And that goes far beyond our understanding. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. There again you have the depth of predestination and I'm guessing the ministry here you'd probably if you had sermons to put toward the top and the bottom of your sermons to preach predestination would probably be one you'd put down there and maybe I'll get to it. It's, it's a harder one to understand but I, I believe it says here we're predestined having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So I believe it's pretty clear here that he chose us to be adopted before the foundation of the world as well. Predestined. It doesn't mean that some are chosen and others are rejected. Not at all. But it just is giving you a glimpse into the mystery of his will. This is a deep Mystery that God planned all of this and how the redeemed would be adopted. The the redeemed would be children of God. The redeemed would be brought back into a relationship and it would be a family. And you see this unfolding as you go through this verse by verse, this mystery. And then we have, it's the purpose, the pray to the praise of his glory wherein he made us accepted in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood. You have redemption. You have forgiveness of sins. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now we get to our text. And I want to uh, continue on with the the first chapter and look at uh, this mystery. But... Verse 10, before we go into uh, the four points, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So we have looked back before the foundation of the world. We're talking about before the world began, what God was thinking and what God was planning and what God was was uh, coming up with the plan before the foundation of the world. We see today people are being redeemed and brought into the family of God. And then we're looking at, at the fullness of times when this all comes to a head. That Greek word in the dispensation of the fullness of times, it, the meaning of that is when this all comes to a head. And I like that. It's, it's all completed. It's all we will stand back and we'll say, wow, when God makes known to us and he opens up our eyes and we can see it in its fullness. We're going to look into it this morning, but not fully understand everything that God is doing. In the dispensation of the fullness of time, he'll gather us all together in one and everyone will be together in one. And that's really redemption in its fullness. So I have four points this morning, and we're going to just uh, go through these uh, and look at them. First of all, an inheritance. Secondly, sealed. We're uh, sealed in Christ. And thirdly, a down payment. And fourthly, opened eyes. Spiritual, spiritual illuminated eyes. So that's what we want to look at as we look at the mystery of God's will. An inheritance. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of an inheritance or if any of you have received an inheritance or if any of you have a will. It's a wise thing to have a will. This is not a sermon on preparing a will. But uh, it is a wise thing. We, we have a will, and we encourage our married children, day after you get married, you should have a will. And the reason you should have a will is you have a right to uh, say that if something you never would think about, something happening to a husband and a wife on the same day, but it, you know, God works in ways we don't understand sometimes. He doesn't tell us everything about our lives. But a will is there so you can write down your wish, and you can... Uh, you can say, in the case of the worst scenario happening, we want so-and-so to be in charge of our children. It would only make sense to do that, right? And your possessions and what you worked for, yes, they're, they're temporal, but you still have a right to say, I would like them to be used in the kingdom of God. And I would like to see Olive Branch missions and missions and you have a right to say what you uh, would like your possessions to be used for. And I think we should be good stewards of what God gives us. And those are the reasons why you would have a will. So an inheritance is uh, the ones that receive an inheritance. Parents most times will pass on their things to their children. And uh, that's very common. I think it's biblical and it's right. 
raise your children and pour into your children, and then when you die, your children uh, receive uh, the inheritance, whatever your parents have their wishes are. But the inheritance here that we're talking about, God, it says that we are, I'm going to just go through a couple verses to whet your appetite to think a little bit about the inheritance of the believer and what this is really looking like. It happens and you receive it the day you die. That's when your inheritance is received. It's, Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall, what? Someone. Inherit what? The earth. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You don't have that preached too often. The earth. Just think a little bit about that. Is there a future? Jesus also, uh, or Peter promised, and John saw in Revelation a new heaven and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So I think there's a future for the earth. Full redemption, uh, it tells us in Romans as well that uh, all creation is groaning and travailing in pain together, waiting for redemption to come. And we also who receive the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning inwardly, waiting how long for this redemption to, to come, this full redemption. So the meek shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 19, it says that everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, sisters, father, and mother, or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Matthew 25, Jesus says to those, the sheep on the right hand, then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there's a, a word, come inherit the kingdom. Future, come inherit the inheritance of the believers. Revelation 21, 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And Romans 8, uh, it says, And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be, we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there... It's very clear that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we're in this. All things will be gathered together in Christ and we'll be receiving the inheritance that God hath prepared for those that love him. And 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is, it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man. The things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. I want you to get excited. That's for you. If you have a love for the Lord, you have no idea what all is coming. That's what he's saying here. We can't even explain it but the spirit of god hath revealed it unto us so we have 
something inside of a supernatural revelation. We're going to look at it at the last point. A supernatural revelation that we can somewhat understand this and someone get, somewhat get a hold of this and it, it moves us. So that is a short look into the inheritance of the believer. We're not going in depth in any of these points, just a glimpse into the mystery of God's will. The second one is a seal. A seal. And it says in verse uh, 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed by God. I don't know what you think about or if you really understand how that when you came to the Lord, you're sealed. What you think of, I'd love you all to respond, what comes to your mind when you think of being sealed with uh, a seal? When important documents are processed, they are stamped with an official seal, a notary. Sometimes you go to the notary and and you have a, an official stamp that's a seal. And it is a, uh, a seal of uh, a mark of authenticity. So you uh, send a letter that is notarized. You know that there's uh, something uh, authentic. And it is not just junk mail that you get and, and you have to sort through it all. So what the seal of God here is clearly the Holy Spirit of promise, which is promised to every person. So this Holy Spirit is a seal upon your life. It is a, a mark of authenticity. It is a a line between the believers and the unbelievers. It is very clear in Scripture that if we do not have the Spirit of God, we're none of His. And so it is a mark of God upon our life. The Spirit of God is promised to every believer. In Acts chapter 2, it was the mark of the new covenant. The Jewish people were gathered together in Jerusalem on the Jewish Feast of uh, Pentecost or the Jewish Feast of Weeks. They were there together waiting and uh, God's followers were there and that is where the Holy Spirit was poured out. What an experience that would have been to witness that. The Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament was only given to the, uh, the prophets and those that were called to specific tasks we saw in our Sunday school lesson how Isaiah spoke to uh, Hezekiah, and that was Old Testament, a picture into Old Testament, different. It says that uh, God in times past spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days spoke, he sp speaks to us through his son. So the Holy Spirit is uh, given to every believer, and that's the mark of the New Testament. And this promise is to our children, our children's children, to everyone who comes to the Lord by faith. We have this promise that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. The Holy Spirit will come upon your life. 
The Holy Spirit is, is a gift and it's a mark. It's a seal upon your life. It's an in or out deal. So if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you cannot be born again. You, you cannot come to God in the New Testament. So it's a mark. The seal of God is a mark of authenticity. The seal of God is also a, uh, implies ownership. So God put his seal on us because he purchased us with his own blood and, and we are bought with a price. And so the seal of God is a mark of ownership. We say we're not our own and the, our bodies are the temple of God and they are, are his, we're bought. So we praise God that he is uh, redeeming people that come to himself and God is putting his mark of ownership upon each one of us that is redeemed here this morning. You are God's purchased possession. You are a peculiar people, and that word peculiar, we're studying some of those words in school chapels. The word holy means set apart, and the word peculiar simply means God's possession, prized and very special prized possession. So we are his own possession, bought with a price, washed in the blood, and it is a seal upon our life that uh, God gives. And it also is a, a means, sealed means uh, security and protection. I think that is something that God wants for all of us to feel secure in him. He wants you to feel like you are Special, protected. Uh, the Roman seal in, on Jesus' tomb carried this meaning. It was a seal. Uh, Jesus' tomb was sealed with a seal, and it was a to be secured. The, the orders were given to guard the tomb and secure the tomb, lest someone comes to steal the body. So when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a, of a believer, every person should feel secure and protected. The Spirit abides with us forever, and he's uh, described, the Spirit of God is described as a comforter. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll comfort you. The Spirit of God in Romans chapter 8 says that he will intercede on your behalf, and I love the picture in Romans chapter 8 where it says the Spirit of God comes before the Father with intercessions and groanings which cannot be uttered. You picture the Holy Spirit groaning and groaning and groaning with words that cannot be uttered. We cannot always know how to pray, but the Spirit of God prays for us and intercedes for us. And there's just this feeling of being secure in Christ that comes with a seal. The next point is a guarantee or a down payment. And I like it. It keeps on getting better. It keeps on getting better. And you think about a, a down payment. I'm, I'm assuming most of you here or some of you here have purchased a property. We moved several times, so I know what it's like to sit around the table and 
and uh, buy a property, buy a house. But first of all, you look at the house and you, uh, you're uh, in the point of decision. But when you come to the place where you think this is a place you want to live and this is a place you want to buy, this is a home that would, uh, God would like your, your family to live and for, for you to raise your family, whatever it is, or a business or whatever it is, you come to the place where you say, I'm, I'm ready to go in. And you uh, get your wallet out or your checkbook, rather. It's more than a wallet, but a checkbook most times these days. And what they're looking for is a down payment. They want you to show that you are serious. You're not just uh, verbal, yeah, I like this property, but I want to see you uh, make a commitment. And so whatever the percentage is on an auction, they have it clearly listed 10% or whatever the down payment is. So at the end of the sale, the last bidder gets out his checkbook and writes a check. And he's saying, I want this property. Sometime down the road, 30 days, 60 days, there's settlement. And that's when you really go all in. But the down payment is very important because it shows a commitment. And when you come to the place where you make a down payment, it says to the realtor, it says to the seller that they will show up on settlement day with the final cash or whatever uh, the payment is. It says here in verse 14, the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, I love this verse, this word earnest. We don't use the word earnest very much, but it means, in the Greek word, it means a, a guarantee or a down payment. That's, uh, that's the meaning of the word earnest, which the Holy Spirit is in or out. It's a seal of God upon your life. It is a must. For you to get to heaven, God's Spirit is a seal, and God's Spirit is also a guarantee that God will be there when you die, or when he gathers, remember back in verse 9, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, one day, I believe God will say to the Son, and I believe we should live our lives for this. We may be the generation to see this. I get a little excited about it. I think you should too. This is a day we may live to see where the Father will say to the Son, bring my children home. I'm going to gather together in heaven and in earth, all in Christ. Everyone will meet in the air, and all of us will be with Christ forever. God's saying, I made a down payment, and I'm going to do it. This is exciting stuff. It's a mystery of his will. And I can only crack it open just a little bit. But, but it, it, it is so exciting when you understand what he's saying here. The Holy Spirit is a seal upon your life. It's a mark of authenticity. It's a mark of ownership. It's a mark of security, and that should be your experience. God wants you to have that. It's God's idea. Before the foundation of the world, this was all in place. 
And now we have the inheritance is also a real deal as well. When you are in Christ, there is an investment that God made into your own life. And that brings peace to your heart. That brings joy to your heart when you know for sure that you're part of this great story. So it is an earnest of our, of, our, of our inheritance. And we're talking about our, our inheritance. It's a proof of our inheritance until. So we have this down payment until the redemption of the purchased possession. And I'm going to have to glaze through this real quick. The whole Bible is one story of the unfolding plan of redemption. And I like to take people many times as I'm witnessing, and I say, take your Bible and read the first two chapters of the Bible, and you will get a glimpse of what God intended for you to experience. If any of you would have the privilege to take one week and take a trip to the Garden of Eden, I think you'd have your ticket and you would be going. And I don't want to live there longer than one week. That's what God had in mind, Genesis 1 and 2. The creation of the heaven and the creation of the earth was a paradise. The garden was just an add-on. And there was just no sin, no death, no disappointment, no lost contracts, no whatever. And sin, of course, came into the picture. And then take your Bible and read the last two chapters of the Bible. And you see a new heaven, and you see a new earth, and you see a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And I like to add my words on there to get you uh, a little understanding of my understanding. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to the earth. And Jesus comes down out of heaven one day to the earth and a great battle on the earth. And yes, there's many mysteries there as well. But redemption comes in three phases. First of all, a person needs to be redeemed from salvation, uh, needs to receive salvation, be redeemed from sin. And that's where our hearts are restored and our hearts are connected with God and we respond to the gospel call. We're sealed of the Spirit. We're saved. And then we are being redeemed by the Spirit. Sanctification. We are being made right with God. And when this experience comes, one day we shall be redeemed in the body when Jesus comes and returns. We'll receive uh, the redemption of the body. So the completion here in verse 14, it says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. I want you to think about what is the purchased possession. It's you and I, the redeemed. The purchased possession is the children of God. And uh, that day will come when we receive full redemption Last point is the spiritual illumination. Verse 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Paul was praying for the Ephesians, and he's praying for us, that God would give your eyes spiritually illumination. Spiritual illuminated eyes can see into these things. Spiritual illuminated eyes can see this in part. Spiritual illuminated eyes is what uh, helps us to understand the plan of God in part. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. My prayer for you as well is that your eyes would be open to see these things. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling. The Christian's calling and what we talked a little bit about that in our Sunday school. What does this mean? You know, if, if we were to die tomorrow or this next week or whatever it is, it's, we would think deeper about our Christian calling, the hope of our calling. Are we... Fulfilling our calling. What is the Christian's calling in this world? And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? There he's praying that we could understand the riches of the inheritance that we have. And also the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. The power of God is available, and I believe it says here, the same power that brought Christ from the dead is the power that comes to each believer. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. My prayer for you is that you would know and see and understand the, uh, the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? It's his inheritance that comes to us as in the saints. I believe it helps us to know how to live our lives and know how to uh, invest our lives for him when we know the riches of his inheritance and also the power. Do any of you feel like you need power? Do you ever feel like you need power? Did, did you ever hear somebody say, I can't quit, I can't quit? And next week, I can't quit. I can't quit. You need power. We can't quit on our own. Whatever these sinful uh, strongholds that we wrestle with in this world and our own flesh and whatever it is, we all need power. We all need power. Spiritual power that brought Christ from the dead is what Paul's saying, I want your eyes to be opened up that you can see the power that brought Christ from the dead. 
And that power is the power that it, the believer has available. And so that is what God wants for each one of us. And that's my prayer for each one of myself included, that we would receive the power of God to overcome and be overcomers, as it says in the book of Revelation. That is a glimpse into the mystery of his will, and I encourage you to uh, dig into that. The book of Ephesians, I wanted to just whet your appetite, and that would be such a blessing if uh, next week and next month you're all digging into Ephesians chapter 1 and saying, wow, I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to close by sharing a story of a wealthy man and his son who loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection. They would often sit and, and admire the great works of art. When Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war, and he was uh, very courageous and died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his son, his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door, and a young man stood at the door with a large package in his hand. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me when he was carrying me to safety. A bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out his package. I, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh no, sir, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them out to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the great works he had collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to pur purchase one of the collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with the picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence, and then a voice in the back of the room shouted, we want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? Another voice shouted angrily, we didn't come to see this, this painting. We came to see the valuable paintings. Get on with the real bid. But this, the auctioneer continued, the sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. 
We have 10, who will bid 20? Give it to him for 10, let's see the masters. $10 is the bid, won't someone bid 20? The crowd became angry, they didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments of their, for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel, going once, twice, sold for $10. A man sitting in the second row said, now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the paintings? I'm sorry, when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal this that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would in inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. God gave his son 2,000 years ago on a cruel cross, much like the auctioneer. His message today is the sun, the sun. Who will take the sun? Because you see, whoever takes the sun gets everything. That gives you a little glimpse into the heart of God. Whoever takes the sun gets everything, and one day we will be able to see with our own eyes what God has prepared for all those that love him. And I want to encourage all of you as Christians, live your life for the Lord. Be effective in your ministry. Give it all for God. And, and I pray as well that your eyes would be opened up in part that you can see and get a hold of this, what God wants for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege to be together this morning, to look into your word and to look into the mystery of your will. We humbly acknowledge that we can only understand in part what you had planned before the foundation of the world for us how that you saw us in Christ before the foundation of the world, how that you care deeply about our lives today and sealing us with the Holy Spirit and giving us the down payment, the guarantee of the purchase of possession being redeemed one day. And God, I pray that you give us all a heart to be faithful to the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.